Hello, good morning, and welcome. 580-5436-580-KIDO. It's Dave at PetsoFinancial.net, if you prefer. Record high on the Dow. That's right, all-time record high this week. All-time. But we have JoJo in charge. We've got wars going on, two of them. I know somebody else will probably come in and go, no, there's actually five. I, I get it. There's, there's hot spots everywhere. China's on the rise, all those things. Possible recession, all of this. And the Dow hits record highs. And, the, you know, just to say, oh, well, that's just the Dow. Okay, fine. Well, the S&P is up 23% year-to-date. 23. The NASDAQ, which is led by tech stocks, is up 41.5. Unbelievable. Absolutely remarkable. And we were told at the beginning of the year, in particular, you can't own tech stocks in a rising interest rate environment. It's just not right. 41%. That's not the best. NVIDIA, of course, is up, you know, 300%. I'm sure Amazon and, and, and others are up 50%. That's the average for the NASDAQ. By the way, the NASDAQ also has bank stocks, and we know what they, they have in there, have done. None, nothing. They've been terrible this year. Terrible. It's, it's, and this comes, and this is not, you know, this is not my segment on, uh, once again, making fun of Wall Street. That's just... Like, that's like shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. Wall Street is insane all the time. And they, and, and they proudly display it every day. That's what's so funny about it. You know, we, we marvel all the time at the office is, is, you know, people like El Arian. I'm not sure when he was right last, maybe 73, somewhere in there. I, I don't know. Still at the top. I don't know what company he works for anymore because it was PIMCO, then it was this. I, who knows? They always turn up. And then they turn up without any real thoughtful analysis and tell you you can't own tech stocks that are down 30% and more for whatever reason. Thank you very much. That was super, super helpful. Glad I missed out on that 50% gain. They draw charts and graphs and tell you why the S&P will be at 3,200 instead of 4,500. Super helpful. Incredibly helpful. I, I, mean, I wouldn't want to have caught that 30% rally. No way. <laughs> I don't, I, I'll chase it down. But we listen and we dive in. And we have to stop once in a while and go, wow. No, the market's up seven weeks in a row. Right when we were all sure that any gains we were going to have were going to be wiped out for the year. Instead, it's been straight up. And I say this to say we have to remember this. We have to remember how wrong we are 
almost all the time about the future. And we have to keep reminding ourselves we don't need to know. If you simply err every single time on it's going to be okay, then you turn it around and go, hmm, maybe I'm not wrong almost all the time. Things tend to work out all the time. They do. All the time. This is what we have to try to remember. I know, in the end, we're all dead. That's true. That is absolutely true. And in the meantime, it really doesn't help your life, and it certainly doesn't help your predictions to always be negative. And I know the pessimists out there don't like to call themselves pessimists. They're, they like to say they're pragmatic or some really big-sounding word that really says that they're really super thoughtful and smart. But being able to quote everything that's wrong in the world isn't intelligent at all. It's just reading the headlines. That's all it is. I think that we have to try to dig down a little deeper and not just look back and make fun. But this year, last year, the year before, all the circus that the pandemic was, all the misinformation and stuff we still won't look into. I, I, don't, I don't understand how we don't even talk about young men having sudden heart attacks here. This doesn't, doesn't make any sense. But I'm not even having a conspiracy theory. I just want to know why. Don't you? What, we're not allowed to figure it out because it might just be something we don't want it to be. Okay, that sounds like the guy that knows he has cancer, but he isn't going to go to the doctor. Crazy. It's crazy. But things tend to work out, and this circus we've been living through is mind-numbing, divisive, negative. And I think it's important once in a while to just focus on the only realism is optimism. It, it, it like really is. It isn't realistic at all. To always be saying the, the, the sky is falling. The end is here. Got to buy gold. It's the only thing that has a store of value. Okay. Apparently, when we think about, you know, say billionaires like Elon Musk, it must all be in gold. Because that's the only real billionaires, I guess. I don't know. What's in your safe? Always there. And I think about this because, I don't know, maybe I'm getting old. I don't know. I am old. Older than I thought. I mean, I just hard to imagine. But I'm in my early 60s. I've, been, I've done this for over 40 years now. And I swear, it just doesn't stop. 40 years ago, they were pimping gold nonstop. Not, not because gold had some in, in, inherent value. No. No, not because gold kicked off amazing dividends and, or interest or whatever you want to call it. It had great returns. No. No, because the world was ending. The sky was falling. Inflation was here, and it was. 
but it was ebbing. And, and, and everything was going to cave in. It was the only real store of value, we are told. And told again, and again, and again. And it was $800 an ounce when I started in the industry in 1980. It is now 2000 nominally. 2000 and not one dividend paid. It has performed worse than not only inflation, which I thought was an inflation hedge. I'm just so confused. I'm so confused about it. But it has performed worse than every other asset class, except, I don't know, you know, iron maybe. I don't know. I don't even call that an iron, uh, asset class. Like every other commodity, inflation adjusted, it goes down. Because we find more of it. We, we, we figure out how to get it. We're more productive. People kind of miss that anti or disinflation that is caused by the ever declining costs of pulling minerals out. And we just scratch the surface. We're not talking about the stuff that's, you know, a mile deep in the ocean. Because we don't have to yet. But we're always going to run out. We're almost running out of everything. Always. Because we don't have an abundant mind. We don't think of abundance. We think of scarcity. If I, if somebody else has this, I don't have that. That's not true. We all have more than we ever dreamed of. We all live more abundant lives than we ever imagined. That's the fact. And why wouldn't that display itself in the markets? Instead, we bury ourselves in negativity all the time. It sells, I guess. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Apparently is a more important message than... Isn't this a wonderful... Okay, let, me, let me share some stories with you about how far we have progressed over the past fill-in-the-blank. Apparently, nobody wants to read that. And I shouldn't say nobody, because I do. I like knowing that. I like, it, it also helps flush the negativity out of my brain. It helps me think better. Because the truth is, those stories are everywhere. You just have to look. Look. They're everywhere. But I can't help it when I you know, think about this and people talking again about gold because it broke $2,000 an ounce and it hit an all-time high. whoop de doo You've got to be kidding me. What is that, 0.5% gain since 1980? Somebody do the math, please. That'd be great if you would. I got to take a quick break. Our number is 580-5436-580-KIDO. It's Dave at PetzalFinancial.net. We'll be right back. Hello. Welcome back. And uh, once again, thank you so much for joining us during this wonderful, wonderful Christmas season. You know, sometimes it just seems so busy. I know my, my wife is just busy making sure everybody has the right gifts and getting plans and baking for the neighbors and all those things. And I just go, wow, this is, it's crazy. But the neat thing is, I mean, for many of them, she's like my mom. I, she loved this time of year. She, she loved it. And, uh, and, and so it's great. I kind of get drug into all of this and I just kind of go along, but 
I tell you what, during Christmas, it's one of those things, once again, I say, it's good to be a guy. It's just good to be a guy. Dennis, thank you for calling. Go ahead, please. Yes, hi, Dave. Thank you for taking my call. Um, you were mentioning the returns on gold in the last 40 years. And yeah. it seems to me like I remember it spiked to 800 around 1980. And so you're taking 800 then to 2000 now. That's about a 100, oh, 120% maybe. Mm-hmm. But then you divide it by 40 years. So that, that seems to me like 3% a year annualizes. Well, Is compounding that, uh, doesn't work like that, but um, I'll tell oh. you what. Yeah, compounding. I'll see if I can come up with some. Maybe something can help me. I don't have a – all I've got my cell phone, and it's a pretty basic calculator on there. I'm, I'm not sure. sure. <laughs> I can get, I'm sure someone will Somebody with, can put, pop that in there. <laughs> I, maybe I'll go to our website. Yeah. That I can do and go to our website. I think we've got a, uh, um, a, a calculator on there for, you know, one of those – Whatever cal- financial calculators, yeah. but go ahead, Dennis. That's yeah. Whatever the percentage is, I uh, it, it's pretty low. It's lower than anything yeah. else. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And uh, but now Costco does um, occasionally offer. Um, well, this last time they offered uh, Canadian gold maple leaves dollars. Yes, or, yes. Or ounce ounce coins, and uh, after you take back the two percent, if you use the charge card. You're you're practically um, without a fee, so you get gold at at par. Which there you is go. A pretty good deal. That is a good deal. Yeah. That's a really good deal. I had heard that. I, they don't do it all the time, isn't it? Just kind of a, a no. That's okay. correct. That's you have to keep watching. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So anyway, I bought a couple at at, tw- at it ended up being two thousand and thirty five dollars an ounce. So and that's kind of the going rate of of gold. Or at least it was a couple of days ago. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You're right. Yeah. That is a good. That is a good way if you want to own gold to to get it uh, inexpensively. It does trade yeah. a lot better than it used to. Right. The the cost of acquiring gold is oh, is less than it used to be. It used to be just horrible. Yeah, big spreads. So much advertising going on too. Yes, so. there is. Yeah. <laughs> there is. Well, thank you for what you do and how you support the community. Appreciate it, Dennis. Thank you. I appreciate your call and and Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you. Bye-bye. Bye now. All right. Obviously, you hear the music. We are going to dance out of here for Fox News at the top of the hour. We will be back. I've got much more to talk about with this amazing stretch we've been on here. It's really something, and, and, and there's a lot of lessons in this. It's not just, you know, reporting of the greatness of the market. There's a lot of lessons in there for us to become better investors in the long run. Hello, good morning, and once again, thank you for joining us. And again, these are my opinions, my opinions only. We may talk very fondly because I'm very fond of the 40-fold increase in Apple stock since they invented the iPhone. But that's a story. That's not a, you need to own Apple. I wish you did. I hope you do. But we're not here to talk about individual stocks in a way of promoting them. And what to buy, 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 and sell, sell, sell is absolute nonsense. It isn't educational at all it's misdirectional totally i love this industry i love talking stocks i love thinking about and learning about so many incredible innovations it just makes my brain tingle honestly i love reading the wall street journals ah, great brilliant thought on the editorial pages just i mean really the greatest minds i just it just wow it's actually something that you get smarter reading not dumber 
And that's hard to find. Almost everything nowadays that comes into our brain, whether it's what we watch, what we listen to, what we read, what we feel, makes us dumber. Almost all of it does. I know. It's a really hard thing to say. I mean, it, it, it is. It, it's super hard for us to recognize that in ourselves. We don't want to. Me getting more information about things I already believe in makes me less likely to change my mind. I'm not actively searching, or am I? There are a few, a few people that do. For a different point of view. Most of it is directed, dialed in, exactly what I want to hear. I want to hear that the Israelis are awful people. That we need to kill the Jews. That's what I, that's, I want to hear more of that. So I tune in to CNN. I tune in to MSNBC. I tune in to Harvard Radio. That's what I, and then I get more facts that aren't true. That are, are, are not true. And the right does the same thing. It's not making us smarter. It makes us dumber. I love talking about it. But to think about this idea that you're supposed to, one second of one day, go, oh, the market can't even possibly go up until we get interest rates to 6%. Totally marking the peak in interest rates. And then the next second, you're wildly bullish after we've gone up, you know, 15% since you just laid your head on the desk and proclaimed the market could never go up until this other future event happened, which, of course, it never happened. And, in fact, we're now at 4% on a 10-year treasury, not 6 That's day-to-day -day reporting. Uh, it's a bit much. So thinking we're getting information and data when you listen to us and we're going to tell you what to buy, buy, buy. I just want to say, well, we're, we're the anti that. We're the anti that. I want to stop and, and, and think about. So I like Ben Shapiro very, very much. I think he's a very bright person and there's even hope that he might be a future like Rush Limbaugh. I doubt it. There's only one Rush Limbaugh. But there's hope. You have a voice out there that I think is thoughtful isn't seeming to sell stuff except for gold. He does pimp gold a lot. I know that's true. I find that frustrating that all talk radio, all all conservative thought devolves into selling gold. I don't know. It's kind of weird. It seems the opposite of what conservatives ought to be is frightened all the time. But we are, I guess, collectively. But it's interesting, as, as I listen to a, a couple of minutes, it's, it's, it, it, and, but don't get me wrong, this isn't taken out of context. This is a couple of minutes sent to me by my sweet wife to specific, specifically comment on, I can get it out, uh, um, to comment on why is the market going up when all this bad stuff's going on, and is Joe Joe's stuff... You know, and and, and 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 there's only seven stocks and all these things, okay? So I, I think it's all fair. And I've commented much about this 
earlier in the year because this has been true for a very long time. The Magnificent Seven, as we call them, seven stocks, have driven the market higher this year until just recently. It's been all them. All them. Up until two months ago, if the market without those seven stocks had a 1% gain, that was high on the high side. It, it was about break even. In the last seven weeks, actually, the broad market has outperformed the Magnificent Seven. And, and it goes on, and this is why I feel like people who are not in the financial industry or are, well, I, I'm afraid most people in the financial industry probably shouldn't comment on the financial industry. But you most certainly shouldn't be telling people that the market's too high or too low or too this or too that when you're not even in the industry and espousing facts about the market doesn't make the data valid. Now, let me explain. Saying that the Magnificent Seven accounts for all the gain above 7%, which is a fact, okay? I think it's about 8%, maybe 9 now. I mean, this is a couple of days old because the market basically rallied again this week with the average little stocks, not the Magnificent Seven, the other, you know, 93%, well, more like 95% of stocks are the ones that outperformed the Magnificent Seven. Okay, and what's the Magnificent Seven? That's, you know, Amazon, Google, it's NVIDIA. It, and every year it's going to change. Why? Because we're going to pick the next hot performers. And then we're going to say, you see, the market really isn't going up that much. These 10 companies, these 20 companies over here are driving the whole thing. And that may, in fact, be absolutely a true fact. And it certainly is a true fact that Technology companies have vastly outperformed everything else for the past five years, 6.5 years, 8.2 years, 11.3 years, whatever time frame you want. It's not even close. And they sell for huge price-to-earnings multiples, which person after person comes on for decades to tell us that Value stocks are about to make a run. Don't don't you need to avoid those growth stocks. Look at the outperformance of these 20 companies over here versus the rest. And it's why we should stop and say, why? Instead of just like doubting everything, like, oh, that's just terrible. I said it can't work that way. That's not what Benjamin Graham said. You should buy these little things over here. Or or they are I love it when they go walking around quoting Warren Buffett. Out of context, of course. Or out of ignorance. Maybe not even on purpose. Just they don't really understand. That when you outperform the market by such a vast amount as Warren Buffett has, there's so much wisdom in there that also what they say are things like, Charlie Munger said this right before he died, multiple times. These are the things that we got wrong. We're always learning. We're still learning. He said, I just wish we'd have bought more Apple. Well, it's, it's, it's like they, they, they're like the largest shareholder there is. But they didn't buy it early as they should have. And they didn't buy as much as they should have, says Charlie Munger, Buffett's equal partner. 
We should have understood technology stocks better than we did. Instead of saying, no, we don't own them because I don't understand them. See, people change. I really believe John Templeton, my hero, my investment hero, what a, what a, what a man he was. I mean, he's just an incredible, generous, charitable, religious man. And a billionaire. Greatest investor uh, of his time. Beat the S&P 500 by five percentage points a year for 30 years. 30 years. You just can't even imagine what that outperformance does to turn you know 10,000 into millions more than the S&P. Always talked about buying bargain stocks. And also growing and changing. I firmly believe that he, like so many great investors, doesn't just say, you can't own that because it's at 30 times earnings. Do I think he would own Google, Amazon, the great corporations? Of course he would. Because people learn and grow. And when you take something like that and say these stocks are so overpriced because the average P.E. ratio is exactly why we have companies like J.P. Morgan coming in and doing their song and dance with the really smart, super highly paid people that put charts up on the wall and tell us why the Dow should be at 3,200 because we multiply, not the Dow, the S&P, we multiply by 16.5 times earnings and we're going to nail earnings this year anyway because it's pretty easy to guess earnings, right? We know what the, all these 500 companies collectively are going to earn over the next year. That's, that's like shooting fish in a barrel. No, they're never right. But let's suppose they get it right. And then they, we, we multiply it by 16.5. And then when we actually take the chart back and look at it over the past 25 years, we go, that's incredible. There's been like nine trading days that it's actually at 16.5. Out of thousands of days, only nine are on that. But we do all this math and we squiggle and go, that's what's going to happen. It's not. And that's why we have to stop and go, no, do I pay? Let's, let's, let's make up a number. Eight times earnings, maybe five only, on, for General Motors. That's a bargain because the market should be at 16 times earnings, right? Why would I say... Gosh, maybe I should back up the truck on General Motors because it's cheap. Because it should be. Because they're not growing. And that's a component of the same market that we're saying is overpriced. I think General Motors is overpriced at anything. I don't want to own a crap company like that. They just can't figure out anything. Decade after decade after decade after decade. Don't want to own them. I don't, do your song and dance about P.E. ratios and this and this. It doesn't matter. So when we take these things out of the context of it and try to make points with it, we miss the point. Do I think NVIDIA is a bargain at, you know, 100 times earnings? It's I have to look it up. Somebody can look it up and say, but I think it's like at a hundred and something times earnings. It dominates AI and AI is here. I don't know what the right price is for NVIDIA. 
I don't. I'm just glad I own it. It's not right for everybody. And it's okay to sell some that's up 300% in less than a year. That's totally cool. Take a little off the table. You hit a home run. Take a victory lap. But I think it's worth a lot more. Therefore, it trades at a higher multiple because it's growing its earnings so fast. Some companies won't. And they will, in fact, pull back. Some will crater. Some are nothing but vapor. Think 2000 through 02. Every air.com company went bye-bye. A couple survived barely. Little things like Amazon. They made it. But most didn't. There's a lot of hype, and you have to avoid those things. People jump into stocks like GameStop and, and, and AMC during the pandemic. It was, was lunacy, driving, driving them to ridiculous heights. That is, of course, the madness of crowds. But when we take and we take numbers and you carve them up into little pieces to make a point, market's not really that good. That's not true. The market is really good. And the market's thinking ahead. It has very little to do with Bidenomics, almost nothing. They've done everything they can to wreck it. The same with Obama, raising taxes, raising regulations, hating, overtly hating business. With every legislative thing they did, sicking all of their incredible bureaucratic powers to try to tamp down everything doesn't stop the greatest capitalist nation in the world from reinventing itself. Donald Trump did the same thing, touting the stock market. It wasn't him. And Biden pretending that the, the economy was in shambles or his clown, whatever her name is, Jean-Marie, I check every freaking box on the planet. I'm not competent, but I check all the boxes, spokesman. That person is out there touting or saying all the time how the economy was in shambles when they took over. It was not in shambles. It was on fire. On fire. But I think if they think that they can say it enough, that they can pretend that whatever they've done, but they can't even define what they think they've done. They just call it Bidenomics. What is it? What, what is Bidenomics? Print another $10 trillion and throw it at the economy? Pretend that that doesn't do inflation? Is that what Bidenomics is? I don't even know what their definition is. Increasing regulations? That doesn't help the economy. None of that is, but it doesn't take away from the fact that these corporations, the Magnificent Seven, there's nothing phony about the market. Nothing. It's always companies reinventing, and there's always some that are on that cutting edge that are killing it. What I'm really happy about is holding the great corporations of the world and not figuring out if their P.E. ratio is too high or not.
Not listening to the people that t- said that the Apple 5 isn't anywhere good enough compared to the 4 to charge another $1,000 for a phone. Nobody will do that. The only reason they do it is because, you know, the cell companies will pay for it. Okay, then when they stopped paying for them, but then what did they say? The iPhone 8 isn't anywhere good good enough as a Samsung flippy phone that bends in half, except it catches fire and blows up on airplanes. Other than that, it's a really cool phone. And they roll. But you see, there's always a reason to be selling, getting rid of these things. And a carving up and taking numbers should always make you pause. Hmm. Hmm, hmm, okay. What does that really mean? That if we pull the Magnificent 7 out, that the market only went up 7%. Seven's pretty good. Seven's pretty good anyway. But do you always, when you, you say the market, do you then remove X number of really high performers every year and then say, see, it really didn't do as good? Is, is that the math we should be doing? When all of your mutual funds... ETFs, broad-based, own a lot of the Magnificent Seven and have actually collectively performed at 23% this year. 23 is what the S&P is up year-to-date. 23. That's the good, the bad, and the ugly. That includes General Motors' dismal ongoing performance. Many others, too. I'm not just picking on General Motors. I'm just saying it's I, 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 I don't even know why we talk about auto manufacturers anymore except for the jobs. They're just not on the cutting edge of anything. I guess the cutting edge of losing money for investors, <laughs> that, that, that they are good at. So as we see the market going to record highs, that's not the president. That's not Bidenomics. It's not Trumponomics either. They all like to take credit for what's going right, they like to point to their predecessor for what's going wrong. It's a, it's a ridiculous game. But it'll keep being played. But what we need to do is try to not carve it out. Because every year, somebody, some group of stocks is taking off and changing the world. And others are not. Every year. Year after year. We got, I am way, way over. Thank you, baby, for sending that. That was great. I appreciate it. And again, I love Ben Shapiro. I just don't, uh, I don't think we should be carving up numbers in strange ways. But I appreciate the opportunity to explain it to everybody. We'll be right back. Hello, welcome. And once again, thank you for joining us. Uh, hey, uh, any comments you have, questions? Shoot those over to us at PetzoFinancial.com. We also have, of course, podcasts there, uh, as well as the Apple Store and Google, whatever thing they have. And um, also, though, importantly, we've found more people be hitting our YouTube for educational reasons because we also can put charts on there and some people learn a lot better uh, visually than they do auditory so that's uh you know that's out there too that's through our website through youtube uh, or you can go straight to youtube and uh, punch in petso financial but we'd love to hear from you one way or another and uh, again cover the kind of topics you want to
Okay. All right. Let's go. We got Dennis calling back. Dennis, what's going on? Yeah, I just uh, you. Were, I went in the store for a while and I came back out and and uh, you were talking about P and E ratios and I thought that was interesting. I'm just wondering. Costco P and E is uh, at like 45, but they still perform pretty well. Like they went up like 25 dollars yesterday. Yes. Well, they also announced a special dividend of fifteen dollars yesterday. Oh, that's why mm-hmm. I wondered what. Okay, that's why then. Okay, because because you're talking about basically if a company's performing really well, then it may be worth the P and E. Is that what you're kind of saying? That's correct. One of the things to think about when it comes to it, 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 it's price earnings P E ratio, price to earnings. Right. So price divided by the earnings gives you your ratio. Okay. So if a company, and I'll give you the, an example of this that uh, Peter Lynch also was magnificent at, at doing that, of saying value is not buying cheap stocks, you know, bad companies at cheap stocks. You know, you can't. If you pay little enough, a really bad company might actually turn out to be an okay investment, okay? Warren Buffett makes that case sometimes. But the reality is going ahead and overpaying for a great brand and owning it for decades like Coca-Cola, which has never been a top-performing stock, but over the decades it has, right? It just keeps working, Mm -hmm. okay? You had to pay more for that brand name, okay, than you would for, you know, generic cola, okay? So, so, So you had to pay more. So which one? Generic cola is trading at a 5 PE. Coca-Cola is at a 15. Uh, okay, so you paid three times as much for the earnings. Which would you rather yeah. own? And that's where we get into this uh, understanding of a company that maybe is growing at 20% a year, which is a magnificent growth rate, or do I want a company uh-huh. that is growing at 2? Now, I right. might say... This is then called a peg ratio, price to earnings growth rate, okay? And that's what Peter Lynch kind of made famous. So I may pay less for a company that's growing very rapidly than one that's growing very slowly, and that happens all day long. Uh, Companies like Procter & Gamble are growing so slow, but they're still selling at 20 times earnings. I, I am not interested in. I would rather buy a company at 40 times earnings that's growing by yeah. 18, 20% a year. And that's, yeah. you see, what the Magnificent Seven are doing. They're growing so rapidly. NVIDIA's earnings are doubling and tripling. Well, I don't even know what, yeah. what kind of multiple you put on that. It's insane. So when we think of yeah. these types of things, you have to really pull it away and say, that is why you don't take one data point like PE ratios and make any case out of it. You don't. Gotcha. Yeah. You yeah. have to look at it. And, and hey, do you wish, you, you, think about this. Do you wish you would have way overpaid for Costco, say, 10 years ago? Because I sure do. Yeah. Yeah. I sure <laughs> wish I would have paid 40 times earnings when everybody told me that is crazy to do. Because I think, yeah. I think Costco's up at least tenfold in the last 10 years. They just keep rolling. And don't forget, yeah, if you go back and they, check me on that, you better go check and see what the dividend was because they've had many, many, many special dividends in the meantime. Yeah, they have. They started that about 10 years or 15 years after they, they formed the company. They started paying dividends, and that's been really good, yeah. Okay. okay, well, thank you for that. I didn't realize that they had announced a special dividend. 
Yep. But that's probably why they went up. Well, that's one of the reasons okay. why. Plus, they just kill it. I mean, I, who doesn't like yeah. to go to Costco? It's it's a cool store. It's a great store. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Have a good day, Dennis. Our number is 580-5436, 580-KIDO. I went a little long on the monologue, as that almost never happens, but it did today, weirdly. And so we're going to try to play catch up here and take a quick break for Fox News. We'll be right back. Hello, welcome, and thank you for joining us. 580-KIDO is our number. Hey, a little off-the-market topic here, but I, I want to um, update people a little bit. Mike, thank you for forwarding this information, and I appreciate it on or off air, but... You know, the USS Idaho christening, um, this is is coming along here, and uh, actually Governor Kim Thorne is quite involved, uh, obviously retired governor now. But uh, out in Connecticut, they are building this submarine, and uh, it's going to be USS Idaho. It's kind of a big deal for Idaho, and it really is. But it's hopefully coming, the christening will be coming here in the spring. So it's uh, on track, and uh, I appreciate it. Now we have you'll hear more and more as we're getting close to this because uh, they're actually working with a, to to get a beer named after that and all that. So Mike, as we get closer, I'd love to talk about it. I know it's a finance show, but I'd love to talk about this, and and I think you ought to be talking with Kevin Miller too. It's a very big deal, and we'll get an awful lot of play here as we head towards the spring and the actual christening itself. So thank you for the update, Mike, and uh, keep, uh, keep updating us. Appreciate it much. All right, shifting gears. Let's go back to uh, P.E. ratios and such. It's also, as we think about the market, I think it's important to really dig in a little bit. Okay, I don't want to, when we think about this day to day, I get this kind of a question once in a while. It's like, hey, I saw my account didn't really go up yesterday, yet the market went up. What market? We think of things monolithically, like my stocks ought to go up what the market does. And generally speaking, it kind of sort of, they do. But the market is driven by certain sectors all the time. One of the things that has happened in the past seven weeks is the rest of the market kind of sort of took off. The Magnificent Seven, yes, they are 70% of the gains this year. They were 100% of the gains, okay? They were all of it. Take them out, market was down. I mean, for the first, what, six, seven months of the year, that was true. Not true the last seven weeks. All of a sudden, you have the market broadening out. Now, all of a sudden, you're seeing REITs, real estate investment trusts, the worst performing sector over the past 18 months, take off. Huh? That's right. They took off. So we have this circumstance where we often think about the market as, well, they said the Dow went up 200 points. You know what that could be? That could be like Salesforce.com two weeks ago announcing amazing numbers and their stock jumped, causing a a 100-point gain alone in the Dow. So the Dow really didn't do that well. One company did. So it depends how you measure it. So the Dow is not the greatest marker, but over the decades, it's not bad. It still kind of comes together to be about right. The S&P is better, but, oh, that's only seven stocks or 10 stocks or 50. And that's true. It's called a capitalized or cap-weighted 
index. What that means is the top 50 companies by market cap, Apple being the leader, it's the biggest one, has the most dominant position. So it really is the S&P 50. S&P 10 is huge part of that index. In other words, the bottom 450 stocks really don't matter to that index. They don't. But if we want to slice and dice and pull things out and say that this is not really working, you can make whatever case you want. Here's what I know and what I'm trying to get at. Often, I said, I'll be honest with you. I oftentimes, when I turn on or the microphone turns on, Bo turns it on. I don't know how to turn it on. And the light comes on, I oftentimes don't really know, most of the time, what I'm going to talk about. It just goes. We just go. I had no idea I was going to talk about P.E. ratios today. I truly didn't. There's nothing here on my little, here's what happens, you know, and, oh, yeah, we want to mention the BSU game, put a little happy face here so I smile into the microphone. Yeah, that's, that's what my piece of paper looks like. It's not much on here. But there's nothing about P.E. ratios. And yet, it kind of comes back to this. As we think about this year, and, and what we were supposed to own, there are so many lessons in this. Uh, uh, not just like ignore Wall Street, but think about what's right in front of you. Yes, ignore Wall Street. It's Babel. I mean, goodness gracious. I can't believe what a perfect contrary indicator Jim Cramer is. I, I, and he's a smart dude. But as far as he's a totally emotional guy that's a basket case of predicting anything to do with the market. Hey, complete whatever he thinks, do the opposite. Is a really good, especially when we hit some of those moments. Oh, interest rates gotta go to six percent before we can ever have an update in the market again. Perfect. Buy. It was a perfect buy indicator. Not just once. It, this is what he does all the time. Unless Ebola is cured, it'll never go up again. That marked the bottom of the market again. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Ebola. This is the Ebola bottom. I'm not joking. This just goes on and on. And so you, you have some of these really perfect indicators. But generally speaking, the babble follows it, e each other. They just all nanner about the same thing. You can't own tech stocks into a rising interest rate environment. We are told at the beginning of the year. Now, as we break that apart, this is what I'm saying about the ground conditions. Dave, what do you think the market's going to do in 2024? Don't know. I'm not thinking about that. I try not to think about it. I have my own opinions, but I'm, not, I'm trying not to. Well, why wouldn't you have an opinion about that? Because it doesn't help me. It hurts me in making my decisions. What do you mean by that? Now, circle back to 23. I don't have market predictions about 23. Here's what I know in front of us right now. And actually, I'm not saying at the be I'm going to use the beginning of 23 because that's when everybody babbles about what the market's going to do for the next 12 months. But the reality was, a couple months before that, we had seen the Magnificent Seven or Eight. Or was it the Magnificent Five? Oh, yeah, we used to call them the Fang Stocks. <laughs> Whatever. 
They're always changing, but we got to have these cool acronyms. They were FANG stocks. What were they doing? You can't own them. They were down 30 to 70%. And then, even at those price levels, they say to you, you can't own them because interest rates are rising. Number one, that's wrong. It's demonstrably wrong, okay? Just go in there and look. And it also, even common sense is the only thing you can own in a higher interest rate environment are things that are growing. I don't, the dividends are not as attractive because you can go get your quotes income, dividends, in bonds that are earning more. So it's, it's, it's literally the exact opposite of what they're saying. But that's what they're saying because they're just like on this bandwagon of what's happening now. And pretending they've been on top of things. That's how you keep your job, I guess, on Wall Street. But what you should be doing is saying, you mean to me, you mean that I can go and buy Amazon, Apple, Google, Meta, called Facebook. I, I can buy the NVIDIA. 30, 40, 50, 70% off? I think I should do that. Oh, well, if I have a market prediction that says it can't do that, then I better wait. And then we can argue later in the year that it's only those seven stocks that are driving everything higher that you should have owned because you've missed it for decades and now you got a 50% off sale and you don't do it because Kramer and company are babbling about what the market's going to do in 23. And we miss it. Fast forward. Here we are today. Interest rates were on their way to 6%, but they stopped some reason, somehow, some way. And didn't, and weird because things are so predictable and easy. And you're not supposed to own REITs, real estate, because all real estate's bad. Is it? What, what, what does a logistics company like ProLogix have to do with see-through office buildings in San Francisco? I'll give you a minute to think about it. Okay, you don't need a minute. You need half a second because it has nothing to do with that. One is not the other. And yet we throw this monolithic idea out. Like, real estate is all real estate. It's not. The market is not all X. They don't move together. We have to remember that and think about it. So what's happened the last seven weeks is REITs are on fire. I mean, fire, fire. Things that aren't supposed to do this. REITs. Utilities. Some are up 30-plus percent. They're supposed to be stodgy old pay, pay a dividend, raise it every year kind of things. But you got to be patient. Remember, you're not supposed to own those right now. They're on fire. And 30% is gone like that. That's how fast things can change when they don't change. We'll come back to that. I got to take a quick break. 
get it out of the way, Bo. I don't know how much time is left in the show, so I'm just going to say we're going to take a quick break. we got time for a phone call if you want. 580-K-I-D-O. Hello, welcome, and once again, thank you for joining us. I want to finish up my discussion here about, you know, just thinking about the ground conditions and how many lessons there are just from right here, right here and now, right? Because there are. There's so many great lessons, and if we can remember those, then we can hang on to them and understand that in this time of of reflection, which it is, and should we should be reflecting. But what we need to do is try to move away from predicting what the next 12 months are going to be like and listening to the nonsense. Now, some of it can be insightful. I say, well, you know, here's what I think that, you know, is really missed by the market. Let me give you an example of that, okay? So rolling the clock back, we've already done that in 23. And then we roll it forward and talk about REITs are on fire right now. They were the worst performing sector, though, all year. And they also had a miserable 22. It tested your patience to own it. Totally did. To actually own anything in real estate at all. But again, this monolithic idea. So understand this. So 80% of all trading on the New York Stock Exchange is with black boxes. And they are just non-thinking. They're thinking, but they're programmed. They're not thinking. They are programmed to react instantaneously and trade, usually exchange-traded funds, ETFs, boxes of, say, a sector. Interest rates higher. Boom. Short selling, meaning shorting, bidding down real estate. What is the biggest component of the XLRE, which is a real estate ETF? I will tell you. It's Prologis. So not thinking that Prologis has any impact or is impacted at all by interest rates, because it's not. Very little if you want to make the case that valuations matter because of uh, bond yields. Okay, but that's it. But specific to their business, no. It's booming. Screaming higher. Let's say we have another little tweak in our little black box trading platform. Bankruptcies increase. Bank failures. Any mention of that? The Fed burping somewhere at a dinner in, in, uh, in Texas. Boom. Sell it. Sell, sell, sell. And then by selling all of this down, Prologis is the biggest component of it. American Tower. Are they impacted by? No, they're not. They don't have, own any see-through office buildings anywhere. That's what you call opportunity. So why did they stay down and stay down and stay down? Who knows? But that's why you have to be patient. Because in, this, in a span of less than two months, it's all back. Unbelievable. You can't own real estate that owns shopping malls. But did you know that Simon Property Group has 95% occupancy and record high volumes? Incredible, isn't it? That's why homework works. Have a great rest of the weekend. Go Broncos. Back next week.